Hey everyone, the following is an unscripted episode I recorded with a screen capture tool. For some reason, it ended up riddled with glitches. Audio pops, missing fragments of sentences, and some unintentionally amusing Max Headroom-esque voice sounds. All in all, I think it's still coherent enough to merit listening. And I may pop in from time to time, via the magic of editing, to clarify what was said during some of the really botched areas. Okay, so in advance, thanks for listening. Hey everyone, it's me, Phil Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and of course, whoever. And I guess I'll call this episode 313. Originally, my plan was to release a kind of mini-audio documentary that I kind of uh, alluded to during the last episode. Um, You know, it dawned on me while I was mentioning this topic in passing that I'd like to do a documentary episode on it. This idea that during uh, the Holocaust that there were Jewish concentration camp survivors who actually held God on trial, um, you know, for forsaking the Jewish people or for letting uh, this horrible atrocity befall them. And according to some people, the story is apocryphal, not necessarily true. But uh, is it Elie Wiesel? Is that how you uh, pronounce it? or Wiesel, uh, the author of Night, a very powerful book if, if, if you've never read it. A relatively short one, too, so it's an easy read in the sense that it's, it's a slim volume uh, to get through, but a not-so-easy read in the sense that uh, it's, it's a really dark and powerful book. Um, but he says that this is actually a true story. And it actually supposedly inspired him to write the book, The Trial of God, which I believe was turned into a play. And I think I made the mistake of saying that I thought this uh, this trial was held after the Holocaust. Um, but actually... I believe uh, the story, whether you think it's apocryphal or not, supposedly took place during the Holocaust in Auschwitz. Um, And I was going to do a documentary about that, but I feel like I need more time. So I'm like, let's just do another unscripted news story episode. And that garbled phrase was news story episode, uh, if you couldn't quite make it out. Okay. And the first couple of stories here are going to be off-topic, but they still really grab my attention, so I figured, what the heck? So this first one is really kind of a last-minute story. Uh, I don't think I heard about it until last night, and it really grabbed my attention because it involves... uh, (laughs) This is going to sound kind of bad. It it grabbed my attention because it involves a porn star. Um... But uh, it involves porn star Mercedes Carrera. And uh, yeah, I I am no stranger to adult movies. Uh, That being said, uh, even if uh, you have a problem with porn, if you spend a lot of time on YouTube, um, you may have heard the name Mercedes Carrera 
or ha- have seen her before. Because not only is she an adult film star, she was also something of a YouTube personality. And uh, sometimes she would pop up on these uh, kind of comedy or long-form podcast shows. Um, even some skeptical uh, podcasters would interview her, etc., she actually uh, appeared once or twice on The Drunken Peasants. And I was watching um, a show on YouTube last night, and the host was mentioned this. I had no idea about this story till, till he mentioned it. And he was kind of half-joking about how he was supposed to have this woman on his show coming up pretty soon. And then this happened. And uh, before this, I always kind of admired Mercedes Carrera in a way uh, because she came across as smart. Okay, back again through the magic of editing. So I lost about three quarters of a sentence there. I I was saying how I used to kind of admire her because she came across as smart, personable, and, uh, you know, fairly well-educated, supposedly held some kind of advanced science degree. Oh, so I don't know what the exact truth is here. Looks like a couple of articles are saying she was a science and technology major in college. Then it's showing a tweet from her, an old tweet dating back to 2015. I guess an engineering degree in work history in aerospace and telecom, plus being a math nerd, doesn't qualify me as geeky enough. But then another article is claiming that she holds a political science degree from California State University. So does she or doesn't she have an engineering degree? I don't know. But she was known as, you know, kind of breaking that stereotype that uh, women in porn are all stupid or airheads or something. She wouldn't be the first porn star to be, you know, highly intelligent and to hold a, a kind of advanced college degree or whatever. I guess there's no reason why you couldn't be a very intelligent and well-educated person and also be some kind of sex freak or <laughs> like the idea of... uh having, you know, making a living off of having sex in front of a camera or whatever. I don't know. Then my friend Crocoduck, who I often mention on the show, was telling me that uh, he was reading up on this story and there's kind of a lot of hay being made by the fact that I guess she was uh, pro-Gamergate or whatever. Um, And so actually, I can't even really remember if she leans left or right or what her personal politics are. I just knew that she was supposedly a fairly intelligent woman who was uh, fairly well-educated and who I'd used to see pop up on some of my YouTube shows. Uh, But then this is a really dark story. Uh, The charges against her are very serious. Supposedly her and her boyfriend, who's also involved in the porn industry, I guess he's a director, allegedly they sexually abused a girl who was under the age of 10. And I think as I said it to Crocoduck, I was like, you know, porn thing aside, whatever you think of, you know, porn, uh, the morality of it or lack thereof, whatever your thoughts are on it. I was saying that that aside, you know, the whole porn thing aside, I always viewed her as being a, a fairly together person. 
but I guess not. Uh, and so this is a very dark and disturbing story. And uh, it includes somewhere here. Yeah, a picture of her mugshot. And it's unbelievable, the difference. Uh, it's just, uh, I don't know how women do it. How It must take so, much, so long to put on all the makeup, get your look just right. Uh, and she must really layer on the makeup or have a makeup artist or something. Because world of difference between uh, what she looks up, what she looks like with all the makeup on, and then her mugshot. I guess also, you know, my, the, the lighting in the station probably isn't the most flattering. I don't know. <laughs> and then also, uh, I'm sure the stress of uh, of being, uh, you know, photographed. Um, well, you know, being booked on serious charges or whatever probably kind of shows on your face. But um, yeah, world of difference. I have a lot of female friends who, you know, I've seen them with and without makeup and it's not that drastic. She just must really have that stuff layered on usually. Um, but it's kind of a trivial thing to be talking about her makeup when the the charges against her and her boyfriend are so serious. And uh, yeah, just it says she's 36. Her partner, Jason Whitney, is 43. Um. I guess her real name is Melinda Smith. But, yeah, it's not the type of story. It's so dark and disturbing. It's not the type of story I want to spend too much time dwelling on. I just did want to cover it because um, I just... It, it came out left field. We did not expect to see Mercedes Carrera caught up in, in a story like this. Um, me personally, I don't have, you know, some people might be tempted to say, well, she's a porn star. What did you expect? You know, I don't have any religious hangups about sex. My only possible hangup with, uh, pornography has to do with whether or not the people starring in, in it are being exploited. And by that, I don't just mean are you know is someone below legal age or did someone not give their consent to be in the film or whatever. I mean, the women starring in in these movies are they really doing it because they have a healthy attitude towards sex and they fully embrace their own sexuality and they think, hey, uh, I love sex and I can make money doing this, so why not, you know? Um, or are a lot of them broken people? Are they in pornography, in the porn industry, because they were themselves abused as children, or, you know, they have serious issues that they haven't worked through? But let's say, for the sake of argument, hypothetically, you did have someone who's just a really sexual person who really embraced their sexuality, and to them it was somehow empowering, and they thought for them it was the best of both worlds. They can have sex, explore their sexuality, and make good money while they're doing it. Then I'd be like, more power to you. Um, but yeah, to me, as long as... Uh, the people starring in these adult movies are adults and uh, they're participating of their own free will and they're a fairly sound mind. I I don't have any problem with uh, adult movies and I've certainly 
seen my share ever since I was a kid, uh, probably in middle school or uh, maybe even late elementary school, and used to sneak downstairs to watch uh, softcore porn in the middle of the night on uh, Skinamax or whatever it was. That was back in the days where we still had like the slide, the cable boxes with the sliding dials. Then we had the ones with all the push buttons or whatever. Uh, that I, I used to read when I was a, a kid. I used to record softcore porn movies in the middle of the night, like uh, Lady Chatterley movies and stuff like that. And then I'd uh, take the VHS tape and hide it, be- <laughs> hide it underneath like a random piece of furniture somewhere in the house where I didn't think anyone would look for later viewing. Ah, oh, what the hell is wrong with me? Anyway, but yeah, that is. Uh, that's just like it that's it's such an awful dark story uh a kid under 10 years of age uh she always seemed more together to me when i'd see her being interviewed etc uh like she had a relatively good head on her shoulders but obviously her and her uh boy quote unquote boyfriend uh were up to some pretty dark and loathsome stuff they were abusing a child and i think according to the story there may have been more than one victim and the cops are trying to figure out whether or not the couple was actually filming what they were doing so uh just dark awful stuff uh but let's move on actually all these stories today are gonna be kind of dark to be honest and just to let you know once again i am using a screen capture tool here because I'm going to be uh, taking a look at a video next. And as I've explained before, if I can record the video and the audio at the same time, it, it cuts down on my workload a bit. Yeah, but just a final word on that Mercedes Carrera thing. I mean, she really was a well-known... I'm saying was because at this point, I mean, imagine... I imagine your career and your life as you as known her to just... Pretty much you might as well consider all that done when you get caught doing something uh, that serious. Um, unless somehow, you know, she could... You know, she was... Ends up she was falsely accused or something. But uh, it certainly looks like uh, the cops have kind of got her dead to rights or whatever, so to speak. Um, and if she did what she's accused of doing, her and her boyfriend deserve to have their careers, you know, wiped or whatever and deserve to be behind bars. Um, but yeah, it's so surreal though, because like I was saying, uh, if you're someone who watches a lot of YouTube videos, especially in the same circles as myself, you know, atheist, skeptic, uh, type of content, um, kind of a reverent comedy slash podcast type of shows, that stuff, then you've probably seen her. You probably know her from that world. And if you're someone who even lightly, you know, dabbles in porn or viewing uh, adult movies or whatever, if you're someone who occasionally goes on, like, Pornhub or whatever, um, I mean, she was huge in mainstream porn. Uh, so, I mean, there's a good chance that that you've seen her. Uh, so a really, I would call her, I would say almost like, you know how Jenna Jameson ended up becoming kind of almost like a household name, even though she, she came from the porn industry, she ended up, uh, it was fair to call her a celebrity. I I would say Mercedes Carrera is almost on that level, just a really well-known figure. So this whole thing kind of blew my mind. But the next story, also uh, an off-topic story, 
and you've probably heard about this one. It has to do with Liam Neeson. And I've always liked Liam Neeson. I think the first couple of movies I ever saw him in were, uh, wasn't he in, like, an old mutiny on the Bounty movie with, uh, Mel Gibson? Who else was it? Was Anthony Hopkins in that, too? Yeah, I guess that was from 1984, and it was simply called The Bounty. Uh, Anthony Hopkins played Captain Bly, and uh, Mel Gibson played Fletcher Christian. And I know Liam Neeson had, had like, a, a relatively small role in that. And uh, I think the the big kind of breakout movie I saw him in, and maybe he had other popular movies before that, I don't know, was Rob Roy. I remember Rob Roy came out around the same time, relatively speaking, in Braveheart. So there was this real kind of Scotland mania, kind of, you know, Highland mania thing going on. Um, and despite its historical inaccuracies and... Mel Gibson's ludicrous haircut, <laughs> Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome-esque haircut. Uh, I actually really enjoyed Braveheart, and uh, I really, uh, I, I really liked uh, Rob Roy too, or I at least liked um, Liam Neeson's acting in that movie. Uh, I, the only reason why I did, I was hesitant to say I liked Rob Roy, is because I remember there was a, like a disturbing rape scene in there. I think. Uh, Tim Roth plays a British soldier and rapes Liam Neeson's wife or something like that. Th this really is a dark episode. Um, and then, and then suddenly it seemed like Liam Neeson became like this aging badass. All of a sudden he was being cast in, in these similar types of movies. There was the Taken series. I think there was a couple of other movies, including the one that's coming out now, um, that he got in, you know, I think he was doing the rounds promoting the movie when he said this stuff that got him in trouble. Um, but even this movie, it's like a similar thing. I think he plays a snowplow driver and something happens to his daughter or wife, something like that. And he has to, you know, get revenge. So that's become his career. Like all of a sudden he's in these, all these movies about, uh, you know, some guy just being a badass and getting revenge. Um on people for killing or kidnapping a loved one or whatever. And so I'm not completely sure what spurred Liam Neeson to divulge the story at this time. I think in a way, maybe he was trying to relate it to the plot of the movie, because it's a story, a personal story about someone seeking revenge. I think maybe, you know, his heart was in the right place and he was trying to you know, make it into like a teachable moment about uh, race or racism. But he ended up uh, telling this story that really ruffled a lot of feathers. And there's been uh, something of a backlash. So I think I may have even been reading that uh, hours before it was supposed to go down, his uh, red carpet uh, appearance had been canceled or something, the premiere of his movie or something like, uh, some event having to do with the premiere of his movie that he was supposed to attend. Yeah, yeah, okay, so it says, Liam Neeson film red carpet canceled amid controversy. Okay. And now, 16 hours ago, it says, uh, Liam Neeson cancels late show appearance after racially charged, something or other. Um, 
but let's watch this video. A brutally honest admission from actor Liam Neeson in an interview with The Independent, promoting his latest movie, Cold Pursuit, where he plays a man seeking revenge. Gonna kill him. He says he understands the rage that can drive a person to revenge, sharing his own real-life reaction to hearing that a woman close to him was raped. I asked, did she know he was? No. What color were they? She said it was a black person. The actor says he actually carried a billy club-like weapon called a kosh. I went up and down areas with a kosh, hoping I'd be approached by somebody. I'm ashamed to say that, and I did it for maybe a week, hoping some black would come out of a pub and have a go at me about something, you know, so that I could kill him. Neeson says he now realizes just how awful his behavior was. It was horrible, horrible when I think back, but I did that, and I've never admitted that. This happened 40 years ago, but is just being revealed now. And online, this has sparked a bit of a backlash, some calling his comments racist, but Neeson says he's hoping that this can be used as a peaceful <laughs> moment. Yeah, so she she almost said I haven't watched I didn't watch this uh, commentary following the clip before, so she used the same phrase as me, teachable moment. So I guess that was kind of what he was aiming for. Um, I think it's a bit harsh to say that his statement or his his telling of the story is racist, because I think obviously his point was to shine a light on his own bad behavior. Um, and he's trying to say just how ugly his own behavior was. So, you know, it seems like he's kind of penitent or, you know, uh, sorry or apologetic about the whole thing. Um, I mean, obviously, if you're a decent person, you should know why his attitude or his mindset in that situation was very, very wrong or misguided, to say the least. Um you know, it doesn't make sense to blame a whole racial group for the crime or transgression of one individual stalking around outside a bar waiting for a random black person to come out so he can beat them. You know, that's not going to avenge what happened to your friend or your loved one. It, it just turns you into a monster, you know? Um, I mean, luckily... His plan never came to fruition, you know, and luckily he did he didn't end up actually beating or killing some poor innocent person who is completely unrelated to the horrible uh, you know uh event or whatever that befell his loved one this this woman uh I don't know if they were platonic friends or if they were friends in a romantic sense. But either way, you know, this woman he knew uh, had been raped. And uh, now this is the second story tonight where we're... No, no. No, yeah, yeah. At first I was going to say, wait, I was talking about the element of rape in the, in the Rob Roy movie. And now this, but those are both having to do with this Liam Neeson controversy. But then the Mercedes Carrera story, what her and her excuse of a boyfriend or whatever the hell he is what they did to that child that's right i don't know the gruesome details but if they sexually abused a child in any way that's close enough to rape for me um so wow yeah really uh really a dark episode 
But uh, yeah, I personally, just personally, I think people are being too hard on Liam Neeson. I think it takes a certain kind of bravery or fortitude to be willing to divulge a story like that when it when it unless he's a complete dullard he must have known on some level that it could have you know could negatively impact his career and his public image and once again the point of his story seems to be to shine a light on his own bad behavior and just how wrong and offensive his thinking was and uh, speaking of the drunken peasants, um, I-, I was watching their show last night, their live stream or whatever, and uh, Billy the Fridge, uh, actually, you know, he agreed that, yeah, it does take a certain kind of bravery or whatever to divulge such an unflattering story about yourself, especially if, like it seems, he was doing so to try to shine a light on racism and, and about, you know, how bad it is. Um, and Billy also made what I thought was a, a very uh, insightful point that by people shaming people for sharing stories like this, it makes it less likely for people to want to come forward with such stories and spark dialogue. And, you know, have really open, honest discussions about racism. You know, it's funny if a skinhead or a white supremacist had a change of heart and came forward to denounce what they and their former brethren had done and how ugly that mindset is, etc. I think a lot of people would applaud them, you know, for having the bravery to come forward or for having enough of a conscience to be able to flip the script and start, you know, denouncing racism and using themselves as an example and uh, trying to teach others where they went wrong in the past or whatever. You know, yeah, I think a lot of people would applaud that. But you have a guy like Liam Neeson who comes forward and shares this ugly story from his past that he's not proud of, seemingly with the intent to create a kind of teachable moment or, or to shine a light on the ugliness of racism. And, you know, his premiere's getting canceled. Uh, his people calling him a racist and everything. And you got to remember, what did they say? What? How long ago was this? 34? I think, was it 40 years ago? So uh, he might must have been a pretty young guy. And that doesn't excuse it. But, you know, we do, if we're lucky, you know, we tend to kind of grow or mature or our worldview matures. We get wiser as we get older, hopefully. Um, And we probably all have things from our youth, you know, that we wouldn't want to admit to other people or that we're no longer proud of. Looking back, you know, that maybe makes us cringe or think, well, I was such an I was such an idiot back then or, or I can't believe that I promoted that type of uh, worldview or whatever. Yeah. And so 40 years ago, that might have just been, you know, a ballpark number, um, but he's 66 now. So he would have been in his 20s. So, yeah, a relatively young guy. Um you know, in a sense, probably still a dummy with a lot of growing up to do and, you know, chock full of uh, testosterone and a very understandable chip on his shoulder in a sense. Not 
in the sense that that ship was aimed to a whole racial group of people. But it's understandable that he would be upset and want revenge or see justice done for this horrible crime that is, uh, that his female friend was subjected to. Um, yeah, I, I definitely understand why, uh, he would be pissed, but obviously, as we already covered the problem, the flaw in his logic or, or lack thereof is that it doesn't make sense, you know, logically or morally to hold a whole racial group accountable for the transgression, uh, no matter how bad that transgression is of, of one individual. And in a way, I understand why people have have had a negative gut reaction to hearing him tell this story. Because even for me, it was weird hearing Liam Neeson, this guy that I've been fond of, you know, who's uh, acting in movies I've enjoyed for, you know, decades, suddenly saying things like Black Bastard and talking about what they, what they call it, a kosh, you know, probably some kind of cudgel type of thing, you know, just waiting outside of pubs for the chance to kill, you know, uh, a person because they shared the same color as the person, the perpetrator who happened to do this awful thing, you know, who happened to, to rape his, uh, his, uh, his female friend. Um, now, if he had actually found the guy who did it, you know, I do have that dark kind of vengeful aspect to my personality. Like when I hear about someone doing something totally awful, if if someone, uh, you know, let's say hypothetically they have the right person, yeah, I wouldn't uh, lose sleep if I heard that he actually caught the actual rapist and beat the shit out of the guy. I'd probably want to give him a medal. Uh, but uh, yeah, world of difference between that and... Uh, trying to start your own one-man little race war, you know, contemplating hurting, even killing someone just because they share the same skin color as someone else. You know, that's awful. But it seems like he knows it's awful. But yeah, so I can see why people have a negative visceral reaction to the story. But when you really think about it and you see what he's trying to achieve by sharing the story, I, I think people are being too hard on him. Okay, so now I have one more story. And this one is from uh, Patheos' The Friendly Atheist. It's not by Hemet Mehta, though. It looks like it's by David Gee. And uh, it involves uh, the Catholic Church and sex abuse. The one silver lining, uh, fortunately, uh, this time around, it does involve children. But uh, unfortunately, it's still a very dark story. And uh, it still has to do with uh, people sexually preying on other people, priests preying on uh, on women in, in this instance, uh, nuns, I believe. Um, so it's entitled, Pope Francis admits priests sexually abuse women, held them as slaves. Once again, this is a very dark episode. And this is dated February 6th. Pope Francis, for the first time, acknowledged the ongoing sexual abuse of nuns, yep, by priests, even going as far as to describe women being held in sexual slavery. This is shit, like, right out of the Marquis de Sade, man. Just, 
corrupt clergymen doing, you know, sexually preying on on nuns and innocent women behind the scenes. Uh, abominable stuff. Let's see. The Pope, who just four months ago admitted that people are fleeing the Catholic Church due to the child sex abuse scandal, reportedly made the disclosure during a trip to the Middle East. He said the church was aware of priests sexually abusing nuns and that it is, in quotes, still going on. Well, how about we fucking do something about it? Pope Francis has admitted that clerics have sexually abused nuns and in one case they were kept as sex slaves. That's like, that's like ISIS Boko Haram level shit. He said in that case his predecessor, Pope Benedict, was forced to shut down an entire congregation of nuns who were being abused by priests. And at least, once again, a tiny silver lining, they did actually shut it down instead of just brushing the whole thing under the carpet and letting it uh, continue. It's somewhat refreshing to, to learn that they at least took some action at that point. It is thought to be the first time that Pope Francis has acknowledged the sexual abuse of nuns by the clergy. He said the church was attempting to address the problem, but said it was still going on. And I like how the way that's worded. It's so, you know, benign or humdrum, kind of like, you know, you uh, ring up a call center because you have a missing pa a package that hasn't arrived yet. We're attempting to address the problem. Uh, if you'd please be patient. It's like you're attempting to address the problem wherever... There's nuns being abused. Shut that shit down. Do whatever the hell it is you have to. Get, you know, even, you know, get the secular authorities involved immediately. It's good that Pope Francis is finally noticing and addressing this controversy. It means that some of the resistance to change will be weakened, and it will hopefully prevent such abuses from occurring, at least at the same rates ever again. These stories aren't new to anyone who's been listening to the church's victims. Until now, they've been getting nothing but silence from Catholic leaders. It's likely that the only reason he's even mentioning this right now is the ongoing scandal in India, where several nuns have openly accused priests of rape and abuse. Then, and uh, I assume this is sarcasm... If you are concerned by this revelation, then worry no more because the Pope is quote-unquote working on it. He admitted that priests and bishops had abused nuns, but said the church was aware of the issue and working on Once again, it's like that weird <laughs> call center like uh, type of uh, attitude or, or, or talk. It's a path that we've been on, he said. Pope Benedict had the courage to dissolve a female congregation which was at a certain level because the slavery of women had entered it. Slavery even to the point of sexual slavery on the part of clerics or the founder. Pope Francis said sexual abuse of nuns was an ongoing problem but happened largely in quote-unquote certain congregations, predominantly new ones, then shut them new ones down. Or whoever the hell it is that you suspect of doing, of committing the abuse, get them the hell out of there. You're just safety and the well-being of these uh, these women, these victims first. You know, immediately put the place on lockdown. Uh, identify the problem individuals. 
get them out of there, call in the, the lay authorities, you know, the, the, the cops, uh, do whatever you have to do to ensure the safety of those victims or prevent or to prevent further victimization. If this is a path the church has been on before, then choose a different route. It's hardly inspiring that the church is working on something that should have been shut down the moment it was discovered. Exactly. Their decades-long hesitation has led to the rampant sexual abuse of women and children. The only reason the church is finally acknowledging the problem and making any effort to prevent more abuse is because of all the public pressure and condemnation in their direction. The faster people leave the church, the faster church leaders will be forced to do something meaningful. But what a, but what a debauched den of vipers, man. As that last or second to last paragraph pointed out, you know, the rampant sexual abuse of women and children. And for so long, stuff like this was just being swept under the carpet. Uh... And, and you know, you don't need me to point out how bad this is. I mean, it's kind of a no-duh. But uh, I, I thought it was a story that nevertheless deserved mentioning. Because a big part of the show is trying to shine the light of reason on superstition and BS. And also to try to sharply point out and condemn the hypocrisy and wrongdoing of religious individuals and religious institutions. Especially when it's something as dire as this, uh, the sexual abuse of women and children. But on that cherry note, it was a dark one, wasn't it? Man, more, more so than usual. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. You know the drill. You can like the Facebook page, follow the show on Twitter, check out the YouTube channel. Maybe you're doing that now. If you want to help the show out monetarily, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash theweekenddoubt. And, uh, you know, help the show out for as little as 99 cents a month. But if, like many people, you're taking a principled stand against uh, Patreon, you can always use the PayPal widget at the bottom of the Podbean page. There's all that alliteration. And also, you can review or rate the show on iTunes if you uh, leave a review. I promise I will most certainly read it on the air as soon as I become aware of it. Uh, all right, brothers and sisters, uh, until next time.